1: What's up, Panther fans? It's uh, another edition of the Beat Check, uh, where we check the beat. We put our ear to the ground. We try to find out what's going on uh, with the Carolina Panthers, where we try to catch up with a beat writer either for the team um, or the team that we're playing. And since it's going into training camp, we are looking for a beat writer for the Carolina Panthers. We got Skylar Callahan, panthers.com by SI tonight helping us uh, kind of get ready for this training camp primer, or at least kind of look into the questions, uh, that are on our mind and more importantly on his mind, Cody Lashney here with me. How you doing my friend?
2: Tony Dunn. I'm doing good, man. Happy to be back on another edition of the C3 beat check where we check the beat with Panthers beat reporters, man. We have a great guest tonight. Uh, I think this year we're going to have a lot of really good beat checks. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of very interesting things in Panther Nation to talk about tonight. So uh, I'm pumped, man. The chat room is already lit up. I'll do a short little roll call here. We got our man Drew, Dan Floyd, ICP, JD54, Matt Knows Nothing, Panther X2, Tin Tizzy, Tony Dunn, ain't nothing to it but to do it, brother. Let's roll.
1: I just want to go ahead and give everybody uh, just a little plug here. Um, We're trying to get our uh, TikTok and our Instagram, these two things that I have failed to pay any attention to for the last 10 years, just focused on YouTube and Twitter. But you can find, just go search the C3 Panthers podcast on TikTok and Instagram, uh, putting up some clips from our podcast, and we'll cut up some things from today's show as well. All right, let's get into it. Skyler, welcome back, man. Training camp's almost here.
0: Yeah, man, glad to be back. Thanks for having me back on. It's uh, it's finally getting close to, to action now, so we don't have to wait around and wait for all this, you know, all this nonsense to, you know, all these rumors, all these reports, all these, you know, preseason projections. It's it's finally here, so we, we can put that behind us and play some football.
1: You are not lying, and on top of that, I mean, just the, the Baker Mayfield trade alone finally gave us something at least tangible. Instead of the constant speculation of what's going to happen, what's going to happen, right? Is that who's interested, who's not interested? And I got to say, I'm ready for them to start thudding. And I know they don't thud much in practice anymore in training camp, but I'm excited about it. So just open up with this is uh, what's what's the news on the beat right now as we head into training camp? What are the, the main stories that are on your mind?
0: Well, I mean, obviously the the quarterback situation, I mean, you can't go without talking about it. I mean, it's, it should be Baker's job to lose, but like Scott Federer said, Matt rule will, will say it's going to be an open competition. Anytime you're paying a guy $18 million, you're not just going to automatically rule him out of the competition. And I think too, if you go back to what Ben McAdoo said three months ago when he first got on the job was that Sam Darnold was one of the reasons, whether you believe it or not was why he was intrigued to the job. So Just keep some of those things back in your mind. Another little nugget was back when these two came out of the draft, Ben McAdoo had Sam Darnold rated higher than Baker Mayfield. So it will be Baker Mayfield's job to lose. But, again, it's going to be an open competition. I think, secondly, you want to see how this offensive line gels together. It's expected to be an improvement, but is it really going to be – you know, maybe a top 10, top 15 offensive line right out of the gate, which is something that's going to take a lot of time. If you remember last year, they rolled out, what, 12, 13 different starting lineups. So that's that's a big area. And I think really, you know, for me, the third one, it, it could either go Christian McCaffrey in his health or you could talk about, geez, there's so many things. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you got to go with Christian McCaffrey in his health. Right? Yeah. That's the, the make or break for not only the offense but the, the entire team season. So if he stays healthy, stays on the field, I think they've got a chance to compete. Maybe for that last wild card spot. If not, probably going to be what we've seen the last three years.
1: I like I like uh, your assessment already on the on the podcast last night. We did five questions facing the Panthers going into training camp. We started with is this competition real? We talked about should we treat Christian McCaffrey McCaffrey with kid gloves. What will who will play guard? Because I think the guards, if we know that answer, that'll tell us what the offensive line uh, looks like. And we also talked about Terrace Marshall Jr. Is he going to be the spotlight, the darling of camp, as they've already tried to foreshadow that? And is it YGM's time to step up? Those were our five stories. Before I pass the mic to Cody, I just want to ask you one follow-up question. I don't think the competition is real. Right? You kind of, you know, you kind of alluded to that in some ways. Is it Mayfield's job? To lose in some ways. Do you really believe that there's a world where Sam Darnold could win the job out?
2: Oh,
1: I think we're frozen in time.
2: Oh, I think we had no way of knowing too. Oh no, hey, he, moved. Uh, he moved. He moved. He's moving. He can't hear me. Hey, Skyler, can you hear Tony? Can you hear any of us?
1: Uh oh. We got... Oh, there we go. There we go. Oh. Huh.
2: Okay, good. <laughs> we thought you were frozen for a second. Oh,
1: yeah. He was frozen, and then I saw him blink, and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> he's not frozen. I just want to follow up. Is there a world in where Sam Darnold could actually win the job? Because I don't believe that's even a possible scenario. <laughs>
0: You wouldn't think so, right? I mean, after last year, after all the rumors about, you know, Deshaun Watson, Jimmy G, Baker, drafted Matt Corral, you wouldn't think that there's any trust left in, this, in, in Sam Darnold. But here's something no one's thinking about. Baker Mayfield is a veteran quarterback has had, that has had success in this league, right? He's overcome adversity time and time and time again throughout his entire career, whether even going back to college at Texas Tech and Oklahoma. He knows how to overcome adversity. Sam Darnold does not. So if you start with Sam Darnold and things fizzle out, which more than likely they can and will, you can turn to Baker Mayfield and everything – I wouldn't say everything will be fine, but I think you can go from Sam to, to Baker. The moment you give up on Sam, there is no turning back. I think if you go and say Baker's the starting quarterback week one – and you give up on Sam, I don't think Sam's going to have that, that mentality of I can get back to where, you know, I was a couple of years ago or anything like that. So to me, I think you can think of it that way, but obviously they're going to go with whoever looks the best in preseason looks best in training camp and whoever, I guess, gels the best with the offensive line, the receivers. Mm -hmm. So there's so much that goes into it, but like I said, anytime you're paying a guy $18 million versus 5 And you've also got those those incentives that Baker has where he has to play 75% of the snaps to do this and earn that back. Some of that may have a factor, but, again, it's going to be Baker Mayfield's job to lose. The biggest thing is I think everyone kind of disregards. Baker's going to have to learn this offense very, very quickly. And Sam's been in this offense for months now. Sam will have an opportunity to go in these preseason games and – even if he looks pedestrian or a little bit better than average, I think that's okay. Baker's only going to get a game, a game and a half. Really, if you combine all of his performances, excuse me, into the preseason, he's maybe going to throw what? The the same amount of attempts he's going to throw in an entire game. So he's got to do all of that and, and all of those, those reps he's going to get in the preseason. He has to beat out a guy that's been here for four or five months and has been in the system. That's a tough ask.
2: That's definitely tough, Skyler. And to to kind of stay on the quarterback line of questioning, where do you feel Matt Corral factors into this? i you know when you listen to uh, Matt Rule and even Federer speaking press conferences, they really talk about wanting to develop him and not rush him into the situation too quickly. But like, how much of that is just the kind of normal coach speak that you might hear? And how much of a chance do you think that Matt Corral will actually have to make this a three dog race instead of just a conversation between Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold?
0: Uh, you know that that's tough because you know from what we saw in rookie minicamp, OTAs, mandatory minicamp, it was a lot of underneath stuff with Matt Corral. They very rarely took shots down the field with him. There was a lot of really what you would see during his time at Ole Miss with the RPOs and the dinks and dunks and stuff like that. So I think for him, it's going to come with learning the protections, learning the checks, the line of scrimmage. It's all that part of the game that is almost foreign to him. And for someone to learn that out of net, like, like in, in a month span, essentially right. is going to be very, very hard. It's going to be, this has got to be a redshirt year for Matt Corral. And, and because if it's not, and that means Baker and Sam stunk it up and you're relying on a rookie quarterback to either get you in the hunt or you're already out of the hunt and the season's a wash. So I, I don't think Matt Corral is going to factor into this race at all, but I do think they will carry three quarterbacks. And this is really the, the most ideal situation for Matt Corral because he was never going to push Sam Darnold for that starting job. I don't care what anybody says. He was never ready for that.
2: Yeah, and that's – I'm really kind of you here, hearing the offense at Ole Miss, that RPO style offense. That it was gonna take some time for him to really ingratiate himself to you know really running an NFL offense. Back to the Baker Mayfield thing. I have been a proponent of the idea that this was a Matt Rule decision. You know, after finishing with only five wins the last two seasons in a row, you know, when you look at what Sam Darnold has done it's not very promising going into the future. There's a reason why a lot of people don't have a lot of faith in Sam Darnold. And if you're Matt Rule going into your third year, well, at least having a quarterback that has made it to the playoffs would definitely be something to help your future tenure with the Panthers. In your opinion, does this decision come from Matt Rule? Or do you think that everyone from David Tepper to Fitterer to even Ben McAdoo Was everyone on board with this decision to bring Baker Mayfield here to Carolina?
0: Well, I think they all, you know, from Tepper on down to all the way to McAdoo, I think they all want a competition somehow, some way. And Scott talked about it right before the draft. He literally said that, you know, he's going to have a sit down with Sam and tell him that there's going to be competition added to this room very soon in that weekend. As a matter of fact, they brought in Matt Corral. They realized that, yeah, he's probably not ready to push for the starting job. And that's the biggest thing that they really wanted. They didn't just want to add to this room just to add to it. They wanted somebody that could literally push Sam Darnold every single day for that starting job. And that's what Baker's going to do. Now, is it a Matt versus Scott decision? You know, when you really get down to the nuts and bolts of it all, like they – I would say it was probably both. Because even if you go back to a year ago when they made the trade for Sam Darnold, You got to think, Scott Fitter was the one that made the the deal happen, right? He was the one that made the deal happen, gave up the picks, and then after that, gave him a fifth-year or picked up the fifth-year option before he even played a single snap. So there's a little pressure, I think, on Fitter. There's a little pressure on Matt Rule, obviously. And there's pressure on David Tepper to win. He has not fielded a winner since he's been the owner of the team. So that's I think that the pressure is mounting from the top all the way down they're getting impatient, but I, I don't know how impatient. I mean, again, I think if they were desperate, they would have done everything they could have done to get Deshaun Watson like the Cleveland Browns did. But when it got to a certain point with Deshaun, you saw them pull back, and maybe it was just a character thing that they said, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do that to a person that's got this situation going on. But, you know. I definitely think both Matt Rule, Scott – or actually all three, Matt Rule, Scott Fitter, and Ben McAdoo had a say in this. They wanted competition. They knew they could not go into the season with just Matt, uh, Sam Darnold, P.J. Walker, and Matt Carone.
1: What do the Panthers do – or and not with um, Christian McCaffrey. Is not like as in trade or you know anything, something like that. But, like, what do they do with them? It's like how do they handle him through training camp? We heard that Matt Rule said that he doesn't expect him to play in the preseason – which is fine. I don't I mean, in some ways, I don't think any starter uh that you know is, is there really needs to play at all in the preseason. I'm kind of a weird yeah. take on that. But how do the Panthers handle Christian McCaffrey going forward with camp and uh into the season? Is this something that he should be treated with kid gloves in like this? Or is this kind of like, man, maybe the the narrative that he's injury prone is a little overblown and it's just time to you know ride the dog, ride the boy again
0: yeah i mean it, it really is a fine line because you obviously don't want to get to a point where he's not getting enough contact and all and all of a sudden boom he's taking 20 you know hits a game and it's it's a lot so you you don't want to scale back too far but you don't want to overdo him as well so i, I mean i agree i don't think he should play in the preseason at all he's going to get you know I'll, he's going to get hit a little bit in, in preseason during the, the, the training camps and those, and those, uh, those joint practices that they're going to do with, I believe, New England. And I can't remember if they had another one set up. But there's going to be opportunities there for him to, to get caught up to speed. So, you know, when we get to the season, I think you're going to see a whole different kind of game plan for Christian McCaffrey and how he's used. They're going to scale back a little bit on the touches, but not to a certain extent to where it's going to completely change the dynamic of, of the game. If he's hot and he's popping six, seven yards a carry, or he's you know Dyson defenses up in the passing game, they're going to give him the ball. But it's those short yarded situations, the third and ones, the third and inches, the goal line situations where he would take the carries in years past. Now that's why you went out and got Deontay Foreman, right? I mean, that's that's a guy that filled in for Derrick Henry last year and almost looked like a a, a great value brand of, of Derrick Henry because he was he was pretty phenomenal in those games. So. You have him. You have Chuba Hubbard. They may have. They may have a fourth back on the roster. I would doubt they would have carry four backs, but you never know. So I, I think they'll be smart with them. They'll limit his touches. They'll be creative with it. But at the same time, you got to be able to find ways to get him the ball. You're I want to kind I want
2: to kind of shift to this offensive line a little bit. Uh, this is something that we've been talking about for a long time. Um, how big of a jump should Panther fans reasonably expect? to see our offensive line take this year because of the new additions, right? Uh, particularly your sixth pick in the draft, at Kwanu, uh, and you added Bradley Bozeman, Austin Corbett. This has really been a piecemeal offensive line for a long time now. Do you think the Panthers have actually made big enough strides to fix this? And regardless of who the quarterback is, will we actually be able to protect them this year?
0: So this is this is something that might be considered a bold statement I'm not sure but we've said it on I've said it on my podcast a, a million times in the last I don't know couple of months I think this offensive line has the potential I don't know if they're quite there but I think they have the potential to be a fringe top 10 offensive line if they play to their level that that we know they're capable of right I mean I Keleanu is just a, a massive human being and looks the part already. When we saw him at OTAs and mini camp, I mean, just looked like a, a five year veteran already. He's a tank. I mean, it's, it's, and it, it, what's so impressive about him is it's not just the pure, you know, bigness and the strength that he has, how nimble he is on his feet. Like he's got such good footwork. It's insane. Um, moves really, really well. So you have him, you add a, a guy that just won a Super Bowl in Austin Corbett. You had Bradley Bozeman, who solidifies that interior of the offensive line. Brady Christensen has taken a major step. And even Matt Rule said he's turned into not just one of the best players in the offensive line, but one of the best players on the team. If that happens, yeah, this is going to be a top 10 offensive line. Now, a year ago, I said that this defense was going to be a top 10 defense. Everyone called me crazy. So, I mean, it it turned out to be a top 10 defense. Now, I might be wrong this year on the top 10 offensive line prediction, but – I would I, let me be safe. I'll say they're a top twelve to top fourteen offensive line unit. So I think they're they're definitely in that upper half.
2: So you mentioned something uh, about Brady Christensen, and so listen, I, I get a lot of flack for my opinions sometimes, and I have been a big proponent of putting a Cam at left guard because I think that Brady Christensen is very athletic. And honestly, I think he's probably better suited to play tackle than he is guard. And a lot of people really get mad at me because it's like, oh, Cody, you don't spend the sixth pick in the draft on a guard instead of putting him at tackle. But it seems to me like with the additions of Deontay Foreman at running back, you know you have Christian McCaffrey. You know you have Truba Hubbard. I think no matter who the quarterback is, the Panthers offense is probably going to be pretty heavily run centric. And if I'm thinking about Christian McCaffrey, man, I want to be running behind Kevin Kwanu at guard. It just seems kind of like a no-brainer to me. And I feel like even Matt Rule kind of hinted and alluded to this. How much of a competition do you see at the left tackle position between Kevin Kwanu and Brady Christensen? Or do you think it's just as cut and dry as icky left tackle, Brady Christensen, left guard?
0: I think it's going to be Icky at left tackle and, and Brady at left guard, but I will say this. I think really the more interesting dynamic is what the left guard center competition is going to look like, because everyone assumes Brady Brady Christian is going to be the left guard. I mean, what what happens at center? Because if you put Bradley Bozeman there, that kicks Pat Elfline either back to backup center or maybe starting for that left guard spot. or if Pat Elfline's your center, now you got Bradley Bozeman competing for that left guard spot. So one of those two guys is going to be battling with Brady, but I still expect Brady to be the left guard. So to me, I think Bozeman wins the starting center job. I think Elfline is kind of your versatile mm-hmm. inside guy, I guess you want to say, maybe a first guy off the bench in case something happens. He's better at center. If you go back and watch his tape, he's much better at center than he is a guard. So I think – if you prefer to have him in the starting lineup, it would be center. Um, but I get what you're saying, and I know people probably come at you. and I've, I've had a lot of people say the same thing. Yeah, I first said, you know, Icky could play left a left guard because, look, to me, I don't give a I don't give a damn if if he's if you spent the number six pick on him or the the, the twenty six pick on him. If he's going to be one of your best five, does it matter if he's a left tackle or left guard? if yeah. it makes your offensive line the best offensive line you can have no you, you well got-
1: especially if he is better at guard at, well like and christensen is better at ta- not better than him at tackle but the two better. together right are a better combo than the other flip arounds where you got aquano at left tackle and then christensen's not as suited for guard um and, you know, he could probably be an all-pro guard, like, from yeah. day one. You know, is that uh, it's tough to play left tackle in the NFL. But, um, I mean, obviously he's got the skills to do it, or they believe he does. But you know, you know he would just maul
0: at guard. And, and there's been a few guys that were drafted high as a tackle, started out at guard, and then moved to tackle after a year or two, and they were fine. So I think yeah.
1: Jordan Gross was one of those. I don't know. Maybe he no. He played. Maybe he played right tackle, and then he moved to the left side after a year. I can't remember. And
2: also, I point to someone like a Quentin Nelson, who also went sixth overall to the Colts, and that guy is maybe the best player on their football team. I think there's like in the mind of people, like left tackle is so much more highly valued and more important of a position that it's it's just like oh, if you're gonna spend the top ten pick on an offensive lineman, you're going to put him at tackle. Which, by the way, I think that no matter where Akim and Kwan to play is, I think he has all pro, all pro potential. I mean, the guy is that kind of talented. Um, I just know that last year there was such a clamoring for Brady Christensen to play left tackle, and it kind of felt like Matt Rule never gave him uh, enough of a chance to really do that until later of the year, um, later in the year, rather but I, I really do think that the pieces that the Panthers have, have you know, added this offseason, I agree with you. We have a lot of potential to be a very good offensive line. Do you do you agree with me that this is gonna be a run first offense? Or do you think McAdoo uh is you know, might want to stretch the field a little more than we're giving him credit for?
0: Well, I mean, he's always gonna go wanna go back to what his his strengths are, what he likes to do the most, which is throw the football. So I think you'll see certain situations against certain teams where they'll they'll spread things out. But, I mean, when you have Christian McCaffrey, you have Deontay Form, you have Chuba Hubbard, and you potentially have a very solid interior offensive line, yeah, you're probably going to want to lean on the run game a little bit more and take advantage of having a very good but young defense because I think that's the difference in winning an extra game or two is if they can play pl- uh, clock control and limit the turnovers – and play really good defense, that can get you an extra win or two in solid special teams, which they upgraded the punting situation with Johnny Hecker. So right. I think when you look at different areas of this team, the key points like offensive line definitely improved. You, you upgrade on special teams. You get a quarterback in here that's had success winning and a bad organization in Cleveland. There's a chance, and I think that's that's the thing that Panthers fans like. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to tell fans how they should feel, but – There's no way, even with Sam Darnold at quarterback, this team is going to get a top two or top three quarterback in next year's draft class. So why not go ahead and try to compete for one of those wild card spots with Baker while you have Matt Corral sitting and learning from Baker Mayfield? You want him to learn from Baker Mayfield on a team that's maybe a playoff type team, or do you want him to learn from Sam Darnold, who may be another five-win team? I mean – that's just me. Again, you're not getting a top two or top three pick next year in the draft, even with Sandarno quarterback. We it just happened.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's switch our focus to the defense real quick. Is um, is the defense going to be just plug and play from last year to this year as good as it was? And when I and I want to temper that with, as I think the defense was overrated last year. Is I I, I know they kept saying that the number two whatever defense at one point or time. You know, it just – there were too many times that teams ran on us or scored late on us, and you could make all these excuses about why the, the offense wasn't doing their job, which then kept the defense on the field or put them in some difficult situations. But there was a couple of times the defense needed to make some stops, and they didn't, or several times, not just – right? So, I mean, I think the defense was good, uh, was good, very good, good or very good, but not great, Right. Yeah. Does this defense get better this year? Because I in some ways I, I know that that's what we naturally think is that like you got good player, you had good players, you had a good year, you got better from year to year and now here's a third year coming. But this defense could be it, is, is going to be a lot different than it was last year in some ways. We don't know anything about the two linebackers, the cat, cat killer Damian Willis, the or fa- uh, Wilson, what's his name? Damian Wilson. He's a fake cat killer. It's the best story. Do you know the fake cat kill story?
0: No, I don't. Oh,
1: okay. So, you know, he got arrested recently, right? Yeah. So part of that incident where he threatened to kill his girlfriend, he took his girlfriend's laptop and wrapped it up in a blanket and then smashed it on the ground. But he told her it was her cat.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Different thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, he's a fake cat. Like he,
1: like uh, he, fake killed the cat. I love it. But still, um, actually, his stock went up in that like, for me. But we have different linebackers. We we have a di- we we really don't know a ton about this defensive front other than Brian Burns and uh, Derek Brown. Where how is the defense going? How do you see the defense looking this year and progressing?
0: Statistically, I think they take a step back um, because, I mean, obviously you're not going to get the same pass rush you got a year ago with Hassan Reddick. Right. So, But at the same time, like, I I don't think you're going to get the same pass rush production, but I don't think Brian Burns is going to fall off. Everyone's, like, all nervous and and worried about everyone's going to double team Brian Burns. Everyone's going to start chipping tight ends towards Brian Burns. Go back and look at his stats from the year before Hassan Reddick got there. He had nine sacks. The exact same amount of sacks he had last year. He's shown he's done it before. The only difference is this now teams know how good of a pass rusher he is. Two years ago, before Hassan got here, that was only his second year in the league. No, no one really had an idea of really what he was going to be at. So now there's a little bit of a difference there because the team's knowing how good he is, but I still think he's going to get his sacks. He's going to get his numbers, he's going to get his QB hits, his TFLs. For me, I think the, the, the biggest improvement has to come on the interior of that defensive line. Like Derek Brown's gotta take a step. This is year three for him. And he's yet to really reach that 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 hype that he had when he came into the league. So you add Matt Ionitis to that mix, I think it's gonna help him a ton because when Matt Ionitis is healthy, he's probably one of the better interior pass rushers in the league. So you add him next to that, Bravion Roy, if he takes a step, you get Davion Nixon healthy, which is one of the rookies I was really excited about last year and just didn't get a chance because of his injury. I think there's a chance they improve there, but they've got to be able to stop the run. That's one of the things that just absolutely killed them last year in, in critical situations, zone runs. You go back and watch that Dallas tape. Oh, uh,
1: man, they just pounded the rock on them all game.
0: It, it is bad. And Phil Snow still talks about it to this day, about how bad they they were in that game. So, there was a couple other games, too. Was it Minnesota was the other one, I think, that, that just ran the ball to death on them. So, I mean, they've got to be able to, to take away the run. But at the same time, they want teams to run the football. You don't want them to start getting into this pass-happy stuff. So, I mean – I don't know. But at the same time, you almost wanted to because of how good your secondaries are, how supposedly deep your secondary is with all those corners you've got and the safeties you have. So I don't know. I think it's going to be a little different defense too schematically. I mean, they're going to stay within what they've been doing, but they're more versatile. And I think if you look at some of those safeties and cornerbacks, even some of the linebackers, they can move and play two, three different spots, even up front you know, you got a couple of guys that can play different techniques. And I think that's really going to allow Phil Snow to open up his playbook and get a little bit more aggressive, too.
1: I think this is going to – we started this podcast in 2013 when we went uh, 12-4 and that year. And we were planning on waiting until 2014, like, and getting it all ready. And it was just such a hot year. We said, we just got to start, right? And so we didn't cover the 2013 training camp. So we did 14. So the thing is, this is our ninth training camp that we've got that you know since i've been doing the podcast i've paid you know you got to pay close attention to this or or you do pay close attention to this i don't know if i can remember a training camp where i didn't feel like there were that many questions about who the roster is like the spots you know is that i always felt like there was somebody that we didn't know very much about that we were kind of counting on like some safety or some receiver or something that we really actually needed to play a role. Like when I look at the, and you can go to um, all Panthers dot uh, slash NFL slash Panthers. And there is a story, Carolina Panthers 53 man roster projection that you just put up today. Is this like one of the most stable, like roster, not, in the league or anything, but like where it just feels like we know who the guys are.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that's the biggest, because I, I've been trying to hold off on of my game by game predictions until we get to camp, but I, I might roll it out later this week. I haven't, I'm not too sure yet, but the biggest reason why I don't want to put it out is because like, I feel like this team should be getting more love around the league than it should, than it really is. Even with Baker a quarterback or, yeah, I mean, excuse me, even, before Baker was the quarterback, like you have, if Christian McCaffrey's healthy, and I know that's a big, big if, but right. if he's healthy, the offense is, is much better. The offensive line has already improved. We talked about the defense. Like at every single level, you have a star player, or I would maybe not a star player, but a very high caliber player. Like Shaq Thompson's a great example. Is he a star or elite linebacker? Probably not, but he's a very, very good starting linebacker. So, you know, you look at the safeties position. You got Jeremy Chin, cornerbacks. You got all types of guys. Defensive end Brian Burns, and I mean, I just I think this team is better than what it's getting credit for. And now that you put Baker in the mix, it just makes them more competitive. And like Scott Fitter said a couple of months ago, I, I was asking him something about the the, the the quarterback situation, and he had said at the time like we we're getting almost to the point where we feel if we can just continue to build what we've been building and we can drop a quarterback in here, then we've got a chance to compete. And I think, I mean, you look at, at what Seattle did all those years. And I've said this a couple of times too. Some people agree with me. Some people don't. Russell Wilson got way too much credit for that, that little mini run that Seattle had go back and look at those defenses, look at the running game that they had, the support that he had around him. Like, there was the offensive line was terrible, but everything else around him was was in really good position. So, if you can build the entire roster to be really good, you don't need an elite quarterback. Yes, it it helps, but if you have an Alex Smith or Ryan Tannehill or somebody of that nature, Jimmy Garoppolo, then you have a chance to to do something. I think that's what the Panthers are hoping Baker can do.
2: Skylar, I've I've been saying for a while that I feel like the defense. Uh, or rather our our defensive backfield, is going to be the strong suit of our team this year. I mean, when you look at J.C. Horn, what he was able to do in a very short sample size last year, then you add C.J. Henderson, you re-sign Dante Jackson, Jeremy Chen is still an elite veteran on this football team, and Xavier Woods. It, It really just seems like this defensive backfield is just as fast and just as athletic as they have ever been. Uh, do you agree with that statement? Do you think that I mean defense or offense? That the the strongest room in the Panthers' building is that DB room.
0: I would say so. Yeah. I mean, it's probably yeah. not just the, the best, but it, in terms of the starters, but I think the depth there is probably better than just about anywhere else on the roster, too. I mean, I, I think one signing that gets overlooked um, that, that that he had from this past free agency was Xavier Woods. Now. He wasn't there during the spring for OTAs, minicamp, or any of that stuff. He had a personal matter that they excused him from. But I think his presence is really going to help out Jeremy Chin because look at the other guys that Jeremy Chin was working with these past two years. They're not bums. Like Sean Chandler played okay. You know, Justin Burris has played okay in spurts. But Xavier Woods is a whole different type of player, right? He's he's a proven safety in this league and probably one of the better communicators – in in the league in terms of his position. So when when, uh, when Xavier signed here, that was one of the things I asked Scott Fitter was like, what was the biggest thing about going and getting a guy like Xavier Woods? And he said the communication was the biggest part because Jeremy Chin was doing so much in terms of having to learn how to play safety, the position that they wanted to play safety, having to learn his stuff at linebacker, bouncing back and forth, also taking charge of everything. It was a lot for one guy to take on. So, especially his age. Now you got Xavier Woods back there. Jeremy Chinn is going to go play ball, and I think that's the yep. one thing that that really needed to happen.
1: What kind of sense do you get from Matt Rule? Like, I'm I'm trying to gauge Matt Rule. Like, we're so you know the fan base is is very hard on him, and I'm part of that, right? Is <laughs> I soured, I I gave him a lot of cre- credit after his first year, and I thought we things did. were really trending in the right way you know it just i felt like in his first year he did i didn't have super high expectations i just wanted the team to not look and him himself not look in over his head and i thought he did that in his first year but the last year was just such a disaster in so many different ways it wasn't just the quarterback it was panic mode from him constant musical chairs with position groups throwing people under the bus at times I felt like, and I just really soured very quickly on him and I'm ready to forgive him. I did a video where I said, I will forgive Matt going and give him another chance, but I want you, you talk to him, you get to see him walk in the room and walk out at times. Um, Does he seem more confident going into year three or do you get the sense that he knows and he feels immense amount of pressure? And I think he did a lot of good things this offseason. I think he went and revamped his uh, his coaching staff. I give him a lot of credit. I think he made great moves there. You couldn't have really done a better job with the guys that he picked, given it not being the most attractive destination in the world for coaches. But do you get the sense? Does he feel nervous, or do you think that he's going to walk into this training camp feeling confident that um, he's he's getting it going the right way?
0: I don't think he feels pressure, um, but I do think he understands that this is a very you – know, it's time to start of football games. But, you know, everyone has been on me since, you know, year one because I said just give it time, give it time, and it will all play itself out. If he's not supposed to be the coach, and it's going to show. But give him that third year – because everywhere else he's been, and I know it's been the college level, but it's been his blueprint and it's worked everywhere. If you look at Temple, that third year is where they turned it. Baylor, that third year is where they turned it. So if you're David Tepper and you know that going into signing into that long-term deal, knowing that for the first year is probably going to be bad, the second year you're going to be a little bit better, maybe not in 2021, but knowing that that third year is the year that he usually turns it, and you invested in him that much money, why would you yank it out from underneath of him right before he has the chance to get to where that sweet spot is in his rebuild? Makes no sense. So I understand the pressure from the fan base. They want to see a winning product. It's been a while since that, that, that's that been here in Carolina. But you have to give the man time. 2020 was COVID year. And I know there was other coaches that had to deal with it too. But it really, really affected him. I mean, you got to think about it he didn't even get to know these guys personally, hardly at all until maybe halfway through the season because they couldn't interact with each other. They weren't able to go and eat dinner together, or go hang out and play golf together. They they literally had to do everything over Zoom and in meeting rooms where they were all spread out. You don't get to know people that way. So not giving an excuse for him because I've always said, for me, a head coach, the telling year is year three. Unless you're like 0-32 or something, then right. you, you, you know that's not the, the guy like a Hugh Jackson or something. But if you're if you're David Tepper, this is the year where you've got to see results. I'm not saying that he has to make the playoffs to keep his job. If you go nine and eight, or you know, say you go eight and nine, but Baker supposedly gets hurt and misses a bunch of time, you still find a way to get the eight wins. He probably gets a year four, but I think if he wins anything less than eight games, you're really starting to walk a fine line, and I think that's, that's going to be tough. But again, that's why he went out and, and he helped go get Baker Mayfield. That's why he added Matt Corral. He wanted to add as much competition to that quarterback room as possible, but I think, too, he made a lot of changes along the way, and I give him credit for that because he, he realized the offensive coordinator that he had wasn't working. Realize the rest of the coaching staff he, he had wasn't worth the quarterback too
1: young too inexperienced right. and he I mean, he really i mean if i, I guess if you want to give matt rule credit for anything is he's not scared he's not afraid to admit that he screwed up
0: yeah, yeah. you know I'm, is
1: that if you just keep banging that in and saying i you know it wasn't you know it's not like he really changed directions on his coaching staff
0: he really did. And I mean, and you look at all of the hires that he had, very, very well respected around the league. Chris Tabor, the special Yeah, player. he might
1: be the best one. He is
0: a fun dude to watch, coach. I'm telling you, if you if you guys are able to go down to training camp or anything, you're gonna love Chris Tabor, just the energy that he has. The guys really listen to him. Uh James Camp is a great dude to talk to, hilarious offensive line coach. Um, but but is serious too. He he gets down in business too. So I think that's the biggest thing with Matt Rules. He's, he's been able to adapt, and it's kind of that adapt or die kind of situation, right? And he adapted before his career in the NFL died as a head coach. So got to give him credit for that. Like I said, I'm not here trying to give the man excuses or say that he should have not been fired after last year, but I, I think he he deserves a third year because you invested so much time and so much money into him, and you know that's his sweet spot, that third year. If you get to that third year and it doesn't happen this year and you don't see the table starting to turn, sure, go ahead and fire I wouldn't. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. After two years, I think that's way, way too early.
2: Skyler, my final question for you tonight, and once again, we appreciate you for joining us tonight. This has been very enlightening and you've certainly brought some great insights. Uh, you know, uh, Recently, an article was making the rounds about uh, the most overrated players in football. And one of the highest names on that list was Christian McCaffrey. And it, the past two years in a row, our offense just completely falls off of a cliff after Christian McCaffrey gets hurt. So taking into consideration the O-line movements that we've already made this year, but you have Terrish Marshall Jr. in his second year, you have Robbie Anderson. Is this still just a Christian McCaffrey offense that lives and dies by the health of 22? Or is this offense actually equipped to continue to have backup plans and be able to be efficient even without Christian on the field?
0: That's a very good question. Um, but I think, you know, certainly the last two years, it's, it was definitely a Christian-centric offense. And you could see that just because Joe Brady, it almost looked like he had no idea what to do when Christian was out of the game and, and he didn't have him available. Now that you have Ben McAdoo, again, you know, have your opinion on Ben McAdoo for what you want. But I I think as an offensive coordinator, he does a fairly good job. His head coaching record was probably not very good. But, you know, I think as an offensive coordinator, being in that role, he sat and and was in a room with Kellen Moore last year and watched how the Cowboys ran their offense, had a lot of success. I think this is this is a really good situation for not just Christian, but the entire offense in Matt Rule because you're getting a guy in here who's called plays before in the NFL has had success doing so. If you look at Eli Manning's time with Ben McAdoo, it was like one of the best statistical years he had. Now I know they turned the ball over a good bit, but you know you're gonna you're gonna have a little bit of that when you throw the ball 450 or 480 times a year. So. We'll we'll have to see. But I think, you know, with the additions that they made, you know, with Deontay Foreman, you get a much better offensive line. It's going to help out. But here's the thing I'll say, and I did see that, what you're talking about, Cody. To me, you can't say a player is overrated because he's hurt. That's maybe an injury-prone situation. You can talk and say, yeah, is Christian McCaffrey injury-prone? Sure, we can have that debate. He must have
1: drafted him for his fantasy team or something.
0: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Because – I mean, to me, overrated is you're on the field and not living up to expectations. That's yeah. nothing to do with injuries.
1: I think it's also this, like, dead time football talk, and yeah. you got to, like, it's good morning football, and they got to do a show, and we got to get something that hits a little bit. How much time are you going to spend at training camp I know uh, in Spartanburg?
0: Uh, I plan to be there every day. I, there, there's be wow. a couple of days where I won't be there, but I think pretty much 90, 95% of us should be there. <laughs>
1: It's going to be hot, man, so make sure you hydrate. Um, I hope we, we, uh, We're very careful in trying not to over-invite people because we don't want to take up their time, so we don't want to get them uh, mad at us for being like, can you come back, can you come back? But we'd love to get you back sometime during training camp just to get an yeah. inside peek, so just keep us on the, the docket if you get a free day on Tuesday or Wednesday. We're always doing this on Tuesday night at 9, uh, and Wednesday night we do the beat check. Uh, My last question. I just want to talk about this real quickly. Talk a little bit about this Shaq Thompson story that happened today. Is uh, Shaq Thompson uh, came out? I mean, and to be honest, I don't really. I feel like it was almost a shot fired a little bit in a way. Or you know, it just seems like you just one of those things you say in private. You just don't say on the internet. And it's not that bad. But tell us what happened today with uh, Shaq Thompson. What you think about it?
0: Yeah, so for those that don't know, so Bank of America Stadium made the switch a year ago to go from turf to grass. A lot of the reason was because the, Vice the, versa. This er, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> so the reason for that was was to go was to make it more durable. I I would say the playing surface more durable because you're going to have to resod that thing a billion times when you have the Panthers and Charlotte FC playing. Well,
1: And then concerts and stuff like that, too. Yeah,
0: concerts, other events. So there's a lot going on in that field that could just wear and tear that thing to pieces. So that's why they made the switch. But turf is obviously not the best, you know, playing surface, as we've already known that. It's been well documented. There's been numerous studies done on this that injuries are more likely to happen on turf than it is in grass. Well, Charlotte FC, they're playing Chelsea, I think, tonight. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And they, they Baker is
2: there, by the way.
0: The Baker is there. Okay. So, yeah.
2: He is He's taking pictures with fans and everything.
0: So they, they installed this temporary grass playing surface for this game because that's what Chelsea plays on. Shaq tweeted out that something was like, keep, keep the grass, no more turf, or something like that. Basically saying, like, hey, David Tepper, let's get the grass back in here, keep it here so we can stay healthy. And I, you know what? I'm 100 in in agreement with him. How? Why would you do anything to put your players at a disadvantage? Or I mean, not just your players at the visiting team too, but like this is a, a serious health issue. And it's at some point, I think the, the league's gonna have to look at it because there's so many injuries that happen. Go back and look at you know some of Christian McCaffrey's injuries. I, I can't remember. I
1: think Odell's. Oh, Dale's in the Super Bowl. Maybe I thought were they on grass or turf? I can't remember.
0: They, they're, they're, they were turf, I think. But um, yeah, I think they were turf. But Christian's Houston, in, or injury in Houston last year, is the one that stood out to me, where he just made that one little pop, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's down. And J.C. Horn, same thing. He, that's the game he went down uh, with the, the multiple broken bones. So I don't know how much of a factor those two had just because it was on turf, but I was told, you know, by Christian that it had something to do with it, but he didn't want to go too in, de- in depth with it. So, you know, I don't know. Um
1: But you got to have Garth Brooks playing. Yeah. It's like, it's a, it's a money thing. You know I mean? You it is a money There you get this like, is that in some ways you can see it's, we only think of the football side. This guy's trying to make this a venue Um and I guess the only thing that's kind of weird about this story and saga is and I think this might be the second time they've done it with the with the soccer team. I'm not I'm I don't follow the soccer team a lot, but I thought I heard that Manchester had a rule like they couldn't play on uh like turf, you know what I'm saying, like it was like part of their bylaws of their team or something. But like again, like they're playing today in this temporary grass and it kind of brings up the kind of shows the i won't say hypocrisy, but it it does shine a, a light on the ideas like, hey, this is a real. Some people really value the grass thing.
0: Yeah, I mean the turf looks cool, but <laughs> you know it's not yeah. it's not the the most ideal playing surface at all. I mean, I I, I played on both growing up, and yeah, I absolutely hated turf. It it's not fun. It feels like concrete too when you fall on it and you get tackled. It's not very. You no know, giving as grass is, but it, it makes the players faster, if anything. That, I mean, that might be the only benefit, but I don't know. I mean, I, at some point, I think Tepper's got to, like, take into consideration, do we really want to bring in all this money, which he's going to want to. He's, he's a billionaire, but um, is it worth doing all that and making Bank of America Stadium what it is versus having players go down all the time? And maybe you're losing money, a lot of money, like Christian McCaffrey has been losing. Essentially, you're wasting money with Christian right. McCaffrey every year. So, I don't know. I think that 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 idea that they have about potentially building, I don't know what it is, that the little center near Bank of America Stadium, the entertainment district. If they were to do something like that, and maybe put some huge amphitheater in or something, maybe they don't have to do that, and then they can put the the concerts the over backpack, there. That's, yeah, no yeah. But that's 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 a thought.
1: All right, really cool stuff. Skylar Callahan, um, you can find his work at uh, si.com slash NFL slash Panthers. You can just Google all Panthers, um, and uh, he'll be at training camp. Tell us, look, one week away, tell the, tell the listeners how they can find your work, uh, not only um, throughout this week coming up, but during training camp.
0: Yeah. So, like you just said, go to the link, follow us there. Uh, I think our, our Twitter for the site is allpanthers underscore, it might be all underscore Panthers. No, I'm sure not sure on that. But my Twitter is Caline kind of underscore. You can find all my stuff there. I'll be doing live reports, uh, thoughts on on training camp, and I'll be having a lot of one on ones throughout the, the two weeks there. So just be for sure to follow. We'll have a ton of stuff going up.
1: Tremendous stuff. Thank you for your time tonight. Cody, take us out of here, man.
2: Yeah. Until next time, Panther Nation, keep pounding.